Welcome back to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. This is our special edition. We'll bring you three podcasts with three of the companies that sponsored DocSF in 2023. The first will be with Edouard Saget, the CEO of OrthoGrid. And what we love about OrthoGrid is their application of AI to digital imaging. Enjoy the conversation between myself and Edouard Saget. Welcome back to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, where we bring you the best from DocSF 2023. And today, we have a special edition session with Edouard Saget from OrthoGrid. They're one of our sponsors at DocSF 2023 and give an enlightening presentation from the stage. But we have the opportunity today to meet with Edouard, who prefers to go by Ed, I think. Is that right? Yeah, you can call me Ed. No problem. Perfect. It's my American version. The American version. Okay, well, we can do both, but let's stick with that one for our audience. So yeah, and talk a little bit about your company, a little bit about who you are, though. Talk a little bit about OrthoGrid, what draws you to this space, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how you'd like hospitals and ASCs to think about approaching a product like yours, and of course, talk a little bit about the value you bring to physicians and surgeons, which I'm very aware of, but I'd like to share that with our audience. So let's start with you, Edouard. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your French, I understand. That's correct. I grew up in France. I was born and raised there. I moved a lot. I did a couple of years of that first year of med school in France, but got distracted and missed my anatomy exam. So I decided to move to the U.S., and uh, ended up going through pre-med, but looked to uh, be close to the operating room. I really enjoyed that and ended up picking up uh, sales jobs, actually, for Smith & Nephew and J&J. Built a little distributorship in Idaho, from Paris to Idaho. And from there, I just uh, decided to stick with that side of medicine, which is in medical device side. I found that I could contribute there. And that's kind of what started the whole process of being part of OrthoGrid. And OrthoGrid started as an idea to solve a specific problem that yeah. you were encountering as a salesperson. What was that problem? Yeah, great question. So my passion for technology has always been there. I always wanted to look at technology as a tool to help surgeons do a better job and find confidence in their surgical technique and reproducibility. And I started with computer assisted surgery, with Brand Lab and those different technologies at the time. What happens with the onset of anterior hips, when we started switching the patient on supine position, what we found is that uh, these techniques with the typical pins in the pelvis and optical tracking tools were not just as accurate. I had to put a plumb bob on the end of a spar of the anterior hip table on a table to try to find some reproducibility. And then really, Dr. Mata and his team were promoting the use of the C-arm. But with the C-arm, what we found is that we couldn't find the information that we were used to. So we decided to find some solutions there. And first with an analog technology. And once we expired all the solutions that were in the analog space, we decided to go to the digital version of it. Actually, let's take a step back because I was there at the time watching you build this company and your analog solution was literally a grid that you overlay into the field of the C-arm so that as a surgeon looked at the screen, all the lines that we were otherwise drawing on the screen, either visually or with a piece of paper, suddenly appeared on the screen. Is that right? Yeah, the original concept was exactly that. And thus the name OrthoGrid. Now we're talking about, uh, you know, a different grid uh, now that we're in the AI world. So it kind of blends together. But the original concept of why the roots came from, it was a patent that we filed on using an actual radio opaque grid in the field of view to help the surgeons. And it, it became something called HipGrid. And it's a product that still is actually being used. I'm 
it's doing very well, but we're transitioning all of that to more of an AI concept now. Yeah. So you took this idea of projecting important information into the field of view of the surgeon, which we all loved. And then decided, boy, can we go further? So first you address the issue of the image being distorted by the C-arm. And then you went to the next level, which now that you had this digital information, you were reformatting it even further and providing information to the surgeon. I really love the way OrthoGrid delivers information to surgeons. And now you've added AI to it. You want to talk a little bit about that vision? Absolutely. So I'm a in a design concept, we're a passive lease resistance. I mean, we have to design things that are being used. That's the number one criteria. So when we're looking, we're not scared of making simple things and deliver it to the hands of physicians, just like the simple grid that we had. Why? Because there was a need in the market and there was a need for the physicians. I've dealt with very complex technologies before and tried to teach them to physician and got them adopted. And it's a painful process. In our process of going from the analog grids to the AI, we have actually not changed too much the concept of bringing simplicity. What we focused on, though, is the next level of problems we wanted to solve. One was, okay, distortion, we solved that. And then after that was the amount of x-ray being taken in your operating room, because every time you had a manual adjustment, we wanted to get rid of that. We wanted the system to auto-adjust so that the surgeons you know, have to take more x-rays. And then we want to increase the level of performance, meaning what information can we provide to the physician in terms of implant position and improving the accuracy by looking at an auto-registration process of the images so that they, they don't have to do it with their own eyeballs, if that makes sense. So the whole process of evolution has stayed the same. We've just been creating a better solution based on the baseline that we demonstrated work in the first place. But yeah, let me just summarize that and make sure that I got that correctly, because it's such an interesting workflow. You went from just making the images more clear, and then you realized people needed to do things like template onto that image because they would want to know what size components to use and what the version was of any component they were put in. And you started projecting that information into the field of view using AI. Real time. One step ahead of the surgeon. Yeah, so that we train the AI to recognize the step of the surgery, first of all, so that the surgeon doesn't have to rely on somebody, hey, we are here and tell the machine something. So first of all, pre-trained, where am I in surgery? Secondly, is quality assurance. Is the information, an image is a data source. Is that data source the right piece of information that I can make measurement on? So there's a quality assurance concept to it, which is pretty important. Is this the right image? And then third is, okay, what do I want in that image at this very moment? And can I have it the way I want it delivered to myself? And that's the beauty of the AI systems that you can pre-train them to deliver to a surgeon that information, whether it's leg length and offset, cup abduction angles, and a specific technique. The C-arm is a limiting factor. There's a specific field of view. So if you're a nine inch C-arm, which is a limited field of view to a 12 inch C-arm, you may be getting more information from those images. So catering to the physician's technique, but also to the technology that they're using, the AI is pre-trained to accommodate both of those things. I love this idea of pre-trained the AI and at the same time enabling the physician to adjust the information that's provided to them. And absolutely my favorite piece of all this is that it's always one step ahead thinking through, okay, well, if you positioned 
a cup into the sake and take an image, you're going to be looking for some information. I know that. So I'm going to be delivering that to you the minute you hit the button. So boom, you put that cup in and bingo is telling you it's in so much abduction, so much antiversion. You don't have to do any calculations in your head and it's just there for you. Boom, you're ready to go and put the screws in. I think that's a great use of AI. So tell me a little bit about what uh, you've published on this. I know you've done a fair amount of publication. You just recently received a big award about how this technology can improve clinical outcomes, costs, length of operations, everything. Well, I think AI is a tool like another and it needs to work, right? And the primary functions of what we use AI, as I mentioned earlier, is mostly automation and efficiency of information. You can go and recreate that information by hand. By the way, you can always override the AI by hand. So it's important to know that. And you always in control as a physician. The AI component is automating that process. And yes, there's been great clinical data, Journal of Arthroplasty articles. And then in a different segment of orthopedics, we are in different areas. We're in total hips, we're in trauma, we're in hip preservation. I just want to mention that the hip preservation section got a John Charney Award for its improvement in accuracy in a very important subgroup of patients, those young patients that need some sort of periacetabular osteotomy. Love that as well. The idea that you develop this technology for a specific problem that needs a solution and then found that it could also be applied to several other areas within orthopedics, namely trauma and this periastatal osteotomies. And we've talked at length at the booth and at various conferences, and I'm always impressed by your ongoing growth. And I think our audience would love to know, because it's such a positive outcome. I don't think you've ever had a single contract not renew. Because well, that's not yeah, that's not exactly true. Some contracts do not renew. Some physicians leave certain hospitals and whatnot. But our retention rate in, is well above ninety five percent over the last five years. It's been fantastic to see the surgeons really loving the technology. I mean, I get text message from surgeons all the time that send me their cases daily, and I don't know why I love getting those. Those are great. They're enjoying the technology. They get to learn and work with it, so they're interacting with it in a way because it's so seamless the way it works. You don't have to wait for information. So you're focusing on making in that relationship with the system because it's working with you. You make a change, automatically you're seeing the change happening live from that machine. So this relationship is very interesting. And going back to the different space and the growth, where there is fluoroscopy images, we believe there's an app for it. It's very simple, taking back the whole concept where there is data in an image. And if that image is being taken, it's because the surgeon is looking for something in it. And if we can extract that out, make it make sense throughout the procedure, we may be able to bring more clinical value, more performance, more accuracy, maybe more time savings throughout their step of surgery. So in trauma, there's a lot of applications. Traditional navigation systems that not work in trauma, but they use fluoroscopy all the time. The ability to take what we create in a hip and transfer it in hip fractures and transfer it in periacetabular osteotomy and pelvic fractures is a very interesting concept in technology where you create this block of technologies and you can easily transfer them to different applications is something we believe will bring a broader use of this technology to the OR. It's been said that the best technology is invisible. And I think you sort of outlined how that happens with OrthoGrid. So let's take a quick shift of point of view away from the clinical application, away from the value proposition to the clinicians. 
So walk me through how the value proposition translates for a hospital or an ASC that's been asked by their surgeons to adapt a dozen different application technologies if they don't know where to start. I think that's a key component of design of technology that's sometimes forgotten is you got to take all the stakeholders into context in your design, not just the surgeon, the surgical staff as well, and also the, the buyers. And being able to, there's a lot of technologies these days. Uh, you look at the knee side, for example, or the hip side, they don't all perform the same way. They're certain specific. So being able to create a technology that answers the needs of the stakeholders, including the finance side. So what does it cost to create this technology, first of all? Because then I'm going to need a return at some point. My technology is not free. But if it costs a lot of money, then I'm going to be asking for a lot of money. That includes capital expenditure. If I stay with software, what's the cost of my software? If I have to build hardware around it, that's a whole nother concept. So staying true to software and minimizing the amount of hardware needed reduces the cost of entry in the first place. And so we consigned our inventory. And for two reasons, we consigned it. One, because one, it gives the hospital the option to acquire more tools in order to do more cases if they need to, without the concern of the massive capital expenditure of having multiple units to accommodate scheduling conflicts or multiple surgeons. The other piece of it is that by consigning AI is tricky because the more you require of algorithms, the more computing power you need. And so you may have to update your equipment, your GPUs, in order to actually accommodate that real-time fill. And so the upgrades that we're doing, we want to be able to take that out. And that's important consideration in terms of consignment versus capital. Then we just charge a simple fee per case. We are aligned with all the other technologies and we don't tie in the hospitals. So if they want to cancel it because there are changes, if they want to get more units, less units, then we'll allow them to be flexible with their business. And just doing software alone is very interesting. You don't need hardware. Hardware means pins in the patients. It means sterilization costs. It means processing costs. It means all those different things that we also do not have to rely on. And the last thing I would say is that you don't need extra equipment. We can tie into any CRM. So the adoption of the technology means just plugging into your current equipment. You don't need any more equipment than you already have, unless you choose to upgrade it for any other reasons. So we're trying to lower the burdens of entry to the stakeholders. I would say, the, and I don't want to rattle, but one of the key component is IT. When we talk about AI and connected systems, hospitals are absolutely concerned about it. And we've developed in our design structure the fact that we're doing everything locally, edge computing, instead of doing cloud computing. It's very attractive to do cloud computing, but it's extremely complex at the hospital approval system for IT. So our IT footprint is pretty much zero and allows us to use the system immediately. And if they want to connect it, they can, but it's not a primary requirement for users. So we're moving into a world where data is going to be increasingly valuable. It will be to you as well as you try to improve and develop your AI algorithms and your ability to support your surgeons. In order to access that data, you do need to be connected to the cloud. So sure. two questions for you. How are you handling data ownership and data sharing with the hospitals? I'm just curious, a bigger question of because it's, it's coming up for pretty much anybody working in this space. And if you're doing all your computing on the edge, how are you actually trading your algorithms? Great question. The data piece is definitely important. There's two things. As a small business, first of all, you got to stay alive and you got to grow. We've acquired data on the front end. We train all of our algorithms on that. And we have a specific type of AI called static AI. Our AI does not continue to learn unless we make it learn on specific data points. So it's a data set that is static until you add to it. 
The data that we need, we have data exchange agreements with different facilities at different times with different projects. And so we work closely with those facilities to understand what kind of data they can provide us. And we enter in one-on-one data exchange agreements. And it's been working quite well and sufficiently for our needs to improve on the algorithms. It is a growing need. There's no question about it, but it's less important than trying to get the technology in the hands of physicians who are doing cases every day. Excellent. And I also just want to also underline and perhaps another time we'll have a chance to talk about it, but I really like the fact that you took into account not just surgeons and hospital needs, but also the usability from the point of view of the staff. And I do know that people find this very easy to implement and easy to integrate into workflows. So I'm going to give you one minute to give us a quick summary. Before we get there, I want to let everybody know that they can go to www.docsf.health forward slash docsf23. At that conference, Edward had an opportunity to speak for 15 minutes about the technology from our stage, and the video content is available to all of you there for free. The podcast from that session will also be available in about two weeks. So look for that at the docsf podcast available anywhere. Otherwise, to learn more about OrthoGrid, go to orthogrid.com. And lastly, Edward, where can people reach you? And last, beyond that, last thoughts. Of course. Well, thank you for the opportunity, first of all, with DocSF. It's always a great pleasure to be there. And just I've learned so much. If anybody's listening, if you're in technology and healthcare, DocSF has been a fantastic platform for me to learn. And a lot of the things that we integrated into our design process and our business, I've learned a lot from that course. So here's your plug, Steph, but I really mean it. It's been amazing. And you can reach us at orthogrid.com. There's a section there where you can ask for some questions and we are very quick at replying to you. And then OrthoGrid aims to really bring clinical value to the physicians using a new technology called AI. We train pretty much the technology to mimic a little bit what you want to get done in surgery. We try to do our best to do in that, whether it's implant positioning or tracking of instruments or bring you efficiency. We do this with a new concept of navigation systems or guidance systems. We are in uh, total hip replacement, uh, hip preservation, trauma surgery as well. If there's any ideas where there could be some value, we're always listening for new concepts of where we can bring value to uh, your operating room. We appreciate the opportunity to demonstrate it. AI needs to be experienced. It's a very experiential thing. It just behaves in a natural way almost in front of you. And it's something that is worth experience in your operating room. Perfect. Thanks again. Ladies and gentlemen, Edouard Sager from orthogrid.com. And with that, when I close out this special edition of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. If you find the talks as incredibly informative and topical as we did, please do share this podcast with your friends and leave us a nice review on your podcast player of choice. It would mean a lot if you did. 